Welcome to the Beyond High Performance Podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients, and the faculty at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses. So we all have different contexts. Maybe we have an overarching motivation for all of the contexts, but we do have different pockets in our lives where we can be motivated differently. And so if in one area it feels easy and in another it doesn't, maybe, you know, take a look at the five eyes. Today's episode is from our show on coaching, where elite coaches from Novus Global and faculty from the Meta Performance Institute discuss the pursuit of excellence in executive coaching. On this special episode of On Coaching, we unveil our free assessment, I'm so excited, called the 5 Eye Assessment that we use with our teams and our clients to help them understand their five primary motivators and how they play out in their lives and teams. If you're an assessment junkie like me, or if you're wanting to understand how motivation works and is working in your life, this episode is for you. I'm joined in this conversation with Director of the Meta Performance Institute, Janet Breitenbach, along with Director for Novus Global Sport, Dan Lafalar, and former national water polo player and Novus Global Executive Coach, Rosanna Tomiak. Enjoy the show. Hey, we're so excited for this conversation. I think you're really gonna love it. We have some three very special people on the call, very talented people. We've got Janet Breitenbach, say hello, Janet. Hello. And we've got Dan Lafalar, say hello, Dan. Hello, everybody. And then last but not least, we have Rosie Tomiak. Hello. If you're listening to this, you may have met Janet and Dan before. They're uh, two of our top performers. Dan is the head of Novus Global Sport. Uh, Janet works with amazing clients. I've heard that she works with people at Nike. She never lets me. <laughs> she never lets me work with the folks at Nike, but uh, that's what I've heard. And Rosie's got quite an impressive story herself. This is her first time on the podcast. She's newer to our firm. She's an incredibly competent coach. I'm very happy. How long have I known you, Rosie? I think uh, since 2004. Wow. That's crazy. We won't say how old we were when so we when basically we forever. That's basically what that means. <laughs> it's a long, that's a long time. But we're excited to talk about today is the five I assessment. It's an assessment that we uh, use in our firm and we use it in a variety of capacities. And what we're excited to talk about is a little bit how it's different than other kinds of assessments. And every assessment uh, is unique in its own way. So that that ours is unique shouldn't surprise anybody. Every assessment hopefully is unique a little bit. But we want to talk about some of the distinctives here, how it could be relevant to you. Uh, it's free, by the way, at least currently it's free. We don't sell it. So we, we'd be thrilled for you to take it and we'll give you information on how to do that. Um, but we're also going to talk about how the um, philosophy of the 5i assessment has shaped our lives as we notice it, how it might be able to shape yours and how we're currently using it in various areas of our life. So hopefully there'll be a lot of takeaways that you'll get from this conversation. First, as a way of introduction, one of the things that's unique about the 5i assessment that's important is what it's measuring is what we call motivation. It's measuring your motivation. And actually, Rosie had a fantastic metaphor for this. And Rosie, you mind jumping in and explaining kind of what this, this is in contrast to other assessments? And also, Rosie, how many like certifications do you have? And could you list them, please? <laughs> I'm certified in seven psychometric assessments. Uh, Clifton Strengths used to be called mm -hmm. StrengthsFinder, Berkman, Total SDI, Nova, MBTI, Strong Interest Inventory, and uh, the EQI slash EQ360. So, <laughs> I love it. There are a lot of letters. I didn't recertify in a period of uh, 10 or 11 years. I've do you do you put Rosie all the letters behind your name on your signature? Because that would just be amazing. <laughs> just letters. I only put A W E, which stands for awesome. There we go. There, there we go. go. <laughs> and I'm I'm certified 
uh, in Strengths Finder and Myers Briggs. Dan, I think you're certified in at least Strengths Finder. Also Myers Briggs, is that right? Yeah, MBTI. Yeah. And then Jana, are you are you an aficionado? Or are you certified in anything? I would call myself more of an aficionado. I've yeah. taken courses. I've done a lot of the Gallup's uh, courses, uh, and just an aficionado. Yeah, and we like assessments, and we're going to do a whole episode on the, the limitations and strengths of assessments, how to use them, how not to use them. We may talk a little bit about that on this conversation, but we'll save a lot of that for the next episode, so we hope you join in for that. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but so now that I've said that, Rosie Rosie is the most certified person on, on this call, and we love that. And Rosie, go ahead and talk about how you look at the 5i assessment. Yeah, so the way I look at it differently is, so a lot of these certifications that I mentioned um, they're about your personality or strengths. And if, and if we imagine all of, you know, our personality as if it were a car, the ones that I'm certified in are like how you drive the car. Do you drive fast? Do you drive slow? Do you love to go over the speed bumps and cheer? Or do you ah, um, get mad at your husband because he, you know, goes over them too fast. Um, and then the, the five eyes is, is more about the, the gas in your gas tank and where the car is actually going. So it's, quite different, although a part of the same car. Part of the same system. Mm -hmm. Another piece of this, I feel like, and Rosie, correct me if I'm wrong, but oftentimes those other assessments, I know, I know StrengthsFinder are more familiar with that. It really is attempting to measure the parts of you that are the most permanent. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Yeah. They say your personality solidifies in your teen years. Otherwise you'd be yeah. like a baby that's just like, you know, ha that has ADHD basically and can't focus on one thing. Yeah, I feel like you just described me. A bit. I was going to say the same thing. But I didn't want to all the strengths, I have all of them. Yeah. And and we'll talk a little bit about how that's partially true and partially not true for even the assessments that that position themselves that way. So if you're curious about that, and I think where that's relevant is where. Uh, Rosie, before we started recording, you mentioned a part that's relevant that we'll actually save for the next episode. Uh, where, it's, where it's relevant for this conversation is where I think people are trying to figure out who they are. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a little bit of a skepticism around assessments. I think the people who build them really do their best to try to make it as valid as possible. So it's not like there's any snake oil going on or, or uh, false advertising necessarily. But, you know, if I didn't get a lot of sleep that night or if I got in a fight with someone, I come in hot and angry you know, like it's going to change how I interact with questions. So in some ways it just comes with the nature of the, the experience that assessments have certain limitations on telling you accurately who you are. Um, also with that, some parts of you are incredibly malleable, incredibly fluid. And honestly, those are just as important. The fluid parts of your personality are just as important as the permanent ones. And so we attempted to design an assessment that is helping you explore what motivates you, acknowledging that what is motivating you in any given season changes. And I want to park here just for a second. And maybe should I go through the, the five just real quick and then we can get into the thing. Rosie, we want to say something before we dive in. Yeah, because what you said there is really great. So the intent of all these assessments, I think, is good. And in the Berkman book, there's, they talk about this study that was done where they gave everyone an assessment, scientifically validated, and then they gave everybody a generic report, but they didn't know it was a generic report. And then they asked them, do you feel this, this report reflects you? And it was like, you know, nine out of 10, everybody said yes. yes. So we have this wiring in us to just want to believe the positive things that are said about us. And that's the risk, even if this, the assessment is really well done scientifically. Well, and, and and not only that, but the desire to be understood, and yeah. all I think actually, if you dig into the the scientific literature, which we will on another 
podcast, we might not use this material right now, but the most validated traits are the big five. And you can find that in most psychological textbooks. When you look at the big five elements and go Google it if you don't know what they are. But if you look at those, uh, most assessments are actually built out of, of a model that bases itself on that. So you'll find like those elements in every assessment for the most part. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and I wanted him to elaborate on what people are Googling because you just said the five big elements. Yeah. So if you Google that, you've got, um, I can't remember off the top of my head, the big five. So you've got. Yeah, here, extroversion, neuroticism, conscientiousness, agreeableness, and reliability. Yeah. So those are the most validated, peer reviewed in psychological research foundational elements to understanding permanency and personality. Yeah. So when you look at those five, in contrast to a lot of the assessments, basically a, the, a lot of the assessment world is repackaging of those conversations in different levels. So MBTI obviously has and extroversion, introversion, but the way they define extroversion, introversion is going to be different than even the, the big five extroversion, what it means there. Yeah. So there's a whole, I, I, I nerd out, I, I took some psychology, I found that stuff really interesting. But what I love about the five eyes is to go back to your to your um, metaphor, Rosie, is when you think about gas in a car, you can there's lots of different gas options. So you've got like you got your premium fuels, you got diesel, you got you got ethanol, you got you know, and so the the five eyes is really an articulation of all these different types of fuel. And you can burn fuel, empty the tank, put some different fuel in. And and that's that's one of the things that I think is is really fun about this conversation. We're not focused on the those permanent or more permanent parts of personality. We're talking about the dynamic part of it, which Jason was talking about earlier. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And as a way of introduction, it might be good to just connect us to some felt needs here. In my experience, oftentimes I'm very busy, I'm very active. I like to be and not active like athletically. I think a lot of people on, uh, who know me would know that you're, you're busy. I'm busy. You're not running around. I'm full of action. <laughs> not, yeah. And I exercised this morning, but anyway, uh, I, I, I like, I have a full schedule. Uh, I have a full schedule. Wow. I like to be busy. I like to work in it. You know, I like to be in it. I like to have a busy schedule. I, it's fun to kind of like go from one thing to the next and to be engaged and to be creating and working. And I like to work hard. And what's, what's interesting about that is oftentimes I find myself getting uh, tired or sometimes I feel unfulfilled or, there's a little bit of a, do I still care about this? There's been moments in my life when something that I used to really care about, I find myself not caring about anymore. Mm. And I think sometimes with certain assessments, it's like, am I okay to change? Is it okay? Or do I have to hold on to a previous version of myself? Or is it, am I allowed to evolve? And I don't mean evolve, like become better necessarily. I just mean become different. Am I allowed to care about something else for a while? And I think in some ways, that's what the 5 I assessment was born out of. First, it was noticing that uh, people are motivated by a cocktail arrangement of different things. You know, I think there's everyone is motivated in some way by certain things, but then everyone has a unique arrangement of, of things that, that they value, that are motivating them. That's part one. And part two is that those things change over time. Yeah, well, because I remember uh, in the or <laughs> telling this like an origin story because it is one. One of the reasons I think uh, we started down this path was you were trying to understand the motivation of your team. Yes. And you were trying to assess like, hey, I, I have all these people working together and they're driven by different things. Yep. And I know their strengths and I know they're, you know, I, I've done some different assessments, but I'm not sure what's really driving them right now. Yeah. Especially if you're a leader trying to serve your team, how do you help your team 
Well, you help your team by acknowledging and getting connected to what they're being motivated in that moment because that will help you understand their behavior. Yes, thank you for saying that, Dan. I do remember there was like this invisible tug of war mm. I, I felt with different people on the team. It's like, why yes. are we like, like two opposite magnets? Why are we missing each other? Why are we yeah. moving past each other, talking past each other? It seems as though we value different things. It seems not good or bad. Just it seems as though we have a different set of values or a different set of motivators right now. And sometimes other people's motivators would frankly scare me a little bit because I didn't know what that would do to the team. And other times uh, motivators would really excite me and we felt like we were on the same page. And and so it was, we, we started writing down a, a, in a sense what different people are motivated by. And there seemed to be five dominant motivators and then we put that together and we said, okay, how do you start measuring this? What are the attributes of people who tend to be motivated by different things? So I think it might be helpful to go through what we've decided are the five eyes. <laughs> you know, you know, I think we should keep talking about them without yeah. naming them. Just yeah. so people can try to like guess the yeah. whole time. So <laughs> as we say this, a couple of things. One is, I think all assessments are like this, but certainly for this assessment, th this assessment is the beginning of a conversation, not the end of a conversation. And that's, that's really important to us. This is, I've designed actually a few different assessments. I actually designed a, uh, a dating algorithm to find like a compatibility matrix to find if you're compatible with people. And mm -hmm. when I built it, it kind of intimidated people because people were like, if you fill this out, is that dictating your life? Is that like the thing that's controlling your life? And I was like, no, no, no. It's more designed to create a conversation so that you can explore because you can still, you know, wake up tired or be angry or having gotten a fight or whatever and fill that out in a wonky way. And so then you're 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 allowed to disagree with any assessment because you know when I used to do Strengths Finder and Myers Briggs workshops, I would say because Myers Briggs is split into sixteen personality types or like boxes, like they'll have a picture with like sixteen boxes with the different types. And I would say the point of this assessment is is to find you, not to find your box. And that's I think a really important distinction is you're allowed to be more complicated than any assessment. So this is meant to be the beginning of a conversation, not the end that you can have with your friends or family or your coworkers or whoever you're in relationship with. In no particular order, the first I is income, and obviously people who are, are motivated by income, uh, they like to make, yeah, to change money, money, money. They they <laughs> they like making money. And by the way, as we go through each of these, pay attention to which ones you resonate with and which ones you uh, are neutral with, and which ones you judge, because that's a really fascinating indicator of uh, some people be like, hey, I love making money. Uh, and then some people will be like, it's actually wrong to make money. You're going to feel that way with each one of these as we go through them. So that's that's income. These people oftentimes drift into sales jobs or places where they can take control of their creative destiny. Oftentimes they'll be entrepreneurial for the purpose of making money. It's interesting how even entrepreneurs can go into entrepreneurialism for lots of different reasons. An entrepreneur who's driven by income is going to go into business uh, thinking purely about profit, the, the machination of selling something for more than what it costs you for the purpose of creating profit and scaling that. That's a that's an income-driven conversation. That's the first I. The second one is intimacy. And these are people who are motivated predominantly by relationships. When they take a job or when they go on vacation or when they make decisions in their life, they're not thinking, how can I make more money? They're thinking, how is this going to affect my relationships? They're thinking, how can I connect? They put a lot of energy versus putting energy into making money at the expense of relationships. They may spend money and cost them income to enhance relationships. And so that, that connection, that thing is really important to them. The third I uh, is integrity. And by that, we don't mean like moral integrity or even the ontological work. We don't mean like doing what you say you're going to do. What we mean there is artistic integrity, meaning like they really value themselves as artists and they see their life 
as a unique expression of who they are. And people who are motivated by integrity in those particular seasons are really craving, feeling seen, having their work reflect their personality or their values or their temperament. You know, they, they're the ones who like love indie music. And then when the indie, indie band gets big, they, they don't listen to them anymore because they're a sellout, you know, this kind of thing. And sometimes people with artistic integrity are skeptical of people driven by intimacy because then you could like judge intimacy people as uh, not being true to themselves for the sake of the relationship. And they certainly judge income people because it's like, mm -hmm. oh, you're just trying to make money. You don't care about the art, you know, and that can show up in all sorts of places. That's definitely a big driver for me in certain seasons of my life. And then we have uh, independence. That's a fantastic motivator. Some people are motivated by being independent. These people tend to be allergic to bureaucracy, to large teams, to rules and regulations. Some people got great relationships and they're making good money. They'll put up with all sorts of shenanigans with rules and, and structures and protocols and procedures. People who are driven by independence in whatever season they're in, they do not like that. They, they are like, no, I want to be free like the wind. Even if that diminishes my money, even if that means I have to be a little bit of a loner, uh, even if that means that I don't have the freedom to create exactly what I want to create, as long as I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it, there's a really fun energy and rush that comes with that. People who like leave their businesses to start their own thing oftentimes are in that moment, in that season, are driven by independence. And then last but not least is impact. And that's one that consistently resonates with me over long periods of time. Uh, but I could imagine a situation where that might diminish, like if I had a family or something. But people with impact are driven by impact. Their desire is to make as big of a difference in the world as possible. So they may not care about money. They may not care about relationships even. They may not care about it being a unique expression of who they are. They may not care about uh, being independent. They'll sacrifice those things in order to make a difference, in order to see their fingerprint in the world. Yeah, I have a question about impact, actually, just off the top. Go ahead. Is impact more about scale? Like, I'm thinking width versus depth. So... Are there, you know, as somebody who's driven by impact, let's say I really want to impact my children. Is that intimacy or is that impact? That'd be like a cocktail of intimacy impact. So generally speaking, intimacy is going to be the depth conversation and, and generally impact is the breadth conversation. Not all the time, but generally speaking, that's how that works. Yeah. And I, I asked that question because I, even as I've processed and, or processed, depending where you live, <laughs> the, the, um, uh, the, the five eyes with clients and in my own life, we, we don't think of these these eyes as independent things that float independently of each other. Yeah. It's a Venn diagram, there's overlap, there's a cocktail like Jason was referring to. So it's important to begin to think of them as uh, elements that play together, not as monolithic separate you know boxes necessarily. Yeah, that's right. So now that you've got that out of the way, one of the things is as we did this kind of verbal assessment, one of the things if you're listening to this, you can ask yourself is, oh, okay, as, as Jason was talking about each of those five things, which of the five resonates with you most? And are there any of the five that repulse you? Uh, or you judge maybe when you see other people doing certain things, you know, so that's something for our listeners to think about. Now, for the three of you on this podcast, one of the things that we keep emphasizing is how things are fluid and they mold. So let me start by asking this question. So for the three of you, and if you're listening to this, pay attention to my language because you notice how much modifiers I use and I think that allows us to protect the, the permanence and fluidity of what it is what we're talking about. So, so Rosie, Dan, and Janet, in this season, what would you say or maybe your top two or top three uh, motivators according to the 5i assessment for you like during this time? So for me, right now, it's interesting. So like I said, in this particular season, especially in the last month, they have changed and income is still my number one. Whereas I would say about five, six, seven years ago, it was impact. And impact is still high up there because when Dan was talking about impact is that 
expansive, like far and wide, or is that deep? And I was thinking about how with coaching, I get the immediate result, the satisfaction, the fulfillment of seeing someone's life or reaction in a phone call. Whereas some of my clients, they uh, put impact up high and maybe they're a CFO at a nonprofit that's doing great work, but they never get to actually talk to people who are being impacted and they feel drained. So I think impact is still up there. But interestingly enough, independence was ranked second for me this last time, which it used to be like number four or five. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of the season that I'm in. I just got married. I took off 10 to 12 days to go to Guatemala. And I just have a lot of gratitude for the amount of independence I have of my own schedule, of being able to choose the clients that I want to work with. Whereas a few years ago, I felt like that wasn't where I was at. And that independence has been kind of raised to the top, whereas I probably judged it a little bit more a couple of years ago, because I'm also very pro working on a team with others. Intimacy is very high for me. So if, if, if I'm speaking directly to coaches, and that's probably what I'm going to speak to because I was, I'm the director of the Institute, which yeah. we teach people to do what we do. And so I've been on this journey with 10 apprentice coaches and talked to a lot of coaches who are interested in building their practice and watched how uh, detrimental it's been for people to hold on to independence so dearly that they miss the, the opportunity to go further faster by jumping onto a team where you don't have as much quote unquote independence because you're actually working with other people and you're getting requests and you're contributing and you might not be be paid for that contribution, but you're helping each other. So um, it's still, it's interesting because independence was lower. Now it's higher because yeah. I am yeah, in the season. Yeah, absolutely. Can I ask a question about that? Yeah. I, I'm curious, and this is off the cuff, but I'm just curious, how much do you think getting married has impacted that? Hmm. You, if, hmm. for, for people out there, Janet just got married in a relationship, serious committed relationship. And I'm just yeah. curious if that maybe had an impact on the independence going up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, now, now I got a ball and chain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Ryan, Ryan, I'm so sorry. You. <laughs> you know, and I wonder, and not not to save you, Janet, from that answer, but I also I feel like sometimes things for me shift when there's like a pain point, so or like yeah. there's like a, a, a checked box, you know. So for for me, income was a, a high driver, and then I hit a certain income level. It's not like it doesn't matter to me anymore, but it, it did it did kind of flip where it's like I don't I don't need more money. I, yeah. I want to well, matter yeah. less. Yeah. So, so yeah. like, like that, the, the, the pain point, the fear of a yeah. lack of money is no longer yes. there. And right. then it, it gives me some freedom to play with some other motivators. Exactly. And I wonder, Janet, that was part of it for you. Absolutely. And actually I really am joking. Uh, it, it definitely is. She's not Ryan. She's not. No, because I really am very proud and it's why I I love our relationship is of the focus on autonomy Mm. that we have. And it's why I feel such a sense of freedom. And yes, so income is in a place that I really like right now. And that's very new for me. So I, I feel the adjustments to my mentality because of years of feeling that lack and I do feel like I'm going through a bit of a shift where I'm like, okay, I don't have to worry about that <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Now I want to say no to things. Whereas before it was like, I got to say yes, I got to say yes, I got to move, 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 push, push, push. And now I'm 
focused more on designing my life where I have a little bit more freedom mm -hmm. to say, you know what, I want to take Fridays off and yeah. I want to have zero client calls on the first half of my Monday. And mm -hmm. the ability to have that freedom has been a tension. Like what you said earlier, Jason, like, am I allowed to change my mind? <laughs> am yeah. I allowed to change my life design? And I, I feel the tension of that. It's interesting how easy it feels to just want to go back into yeah. what I've pushed for for so long. So yeah, it's definitely changed. And now that's the exploration I'm in right now. Yeah. And that's a great expose into how to use this assessment, both for career, but also in relationship. Like it'd be interesting mm -hmm. to see what Ryan's five eye cocktail is as well. And to look and see, okay, yeah. as a unit, as a couple, where are the synergies and where are the possible areas of conflict? Because if yeah. you've got a person who's driven predominantly by independence and a person who's driven predominantly by income, they're going to make decisions possibly in a very different way. Yeah. And that makes well, and, and Jay, I want to, I want to reiterate too, that that's a picture of it right now. So you do the assessment right now, you get a picture right now, but in a week or a month, it could be quite yeah. different depending on what's going on. Well, and to your point, Dan, then let's go to you then. So give us a, a brief history of your your shift in your five eye cocktail. Cause when I met you, yeah. it's, it wasn't the same motivator as it is right now or it is in the recent past. Yeah, well, like in 1984, when I was born, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Very good. Go really far back. back. <laughs> go all the way back. Pretty sure it was intimacy. Just skin to skin. <laughs> a lot of that going on. Just want to be close um, mom. Yeah, exactly. I, I uh, you know, I got three kids. I get that. Um, and Rosie's a mom too, so she understands. But uh, no, I, I think for the, it's interesting because I think back about to my family of origin and some of those dynamics and then some of the other jobs I've done in my life. For me, intimacy was always um, championed as a value that's important to put at the front. And I felt always a little bit like a fish out of water because there's an entrepreneurial side of me that I think is much more driven by impact and income, those two together. So over the period of my life, I went and did a really academic degree, you know, that sort of, there's an impact element there. There's a little bit of intimacy there, but most of the jobs that I chose for the first eight years of my adult vocational life were focused on intimacy, mm. intimacy and impact. And then once the entrepreneurial side of me was allowed to express itself, once I chose to allow it out, the income and impact began to almost take over and really running with that for a period of time. But I resonated with you, Jason, when you talked about how, you know, income and then there, there's studies done on this, like how much money is enough money and, yeah. and the, the, the return on investment in terms of happiness really drops off. I think it's past $85,000 a year. I've so heard that. That's not, that's not the number where I became satisfied. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was actually only $20,000. Uh, <laughs> um, but for me as a father and as a husband with a family, like there was a certain level of uh, provision that I, that I wanted to create for my family. And, 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 and as I've created that over the last number of years, um, I have noticed income becoming in the second or third seat and that intimacy piece actually coming back in. Right now, it's impacts number one, intimacy and income kind of flip back and forth depending on you know how I feel that morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What I am interested though is I think the integrity piece has always felt just natural to me because I'm in jobs that feel like me. And yeah. I've, I've actually not really done too many jobs where I didn't feel like I fit. And the last one that I noticed and maybe this is something worth exploring is like independence has always kind of been at the bottom. Yeah. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, Hey, I'll, I'll, what do you want me to do? Like the, the kind of that sort of, <laughs> judging and it's like, one. yeah, no, I, Rose, I think there's a level to, me, to which I think I do judge people 
it's funny now because like that's interesting that I do that, but who are who are like kind of rugged individualistic to the point where you know they're just leaving carnage of bodies behind them in relationships and things like that. And I wonder what would happen if I turned that or fueled my tank with that in my life. I, I have no idea. What's interesting the about that? Way like Janet, the way Janet described it, it sounded really healthy and not what I was judging Janet. Just so you know. <laughs> running over people with her car <laughs> well and that's that's one of the things and we have a white paper that we put out that we'll give you a link to in the show notes that talks about some of the philosophy behind this assessment for us and one of them is saying there's no right hierarchy they're not in conflict with each other but sometimes they are in tension with each other and the object of the game is to be curious about what do we value most what do we value least is are there gaps there what does it look like to value all five in some way in harmony with each other or synergy with each other? What you're listening to Dan do is he's talking through the five eyes and he's like, huh, so independence is uh, at the bottom. A question that we would ask Dan, is there some missing piece there with independence that may actually amplify his intimacy and his impact and his income and his artistic integrity? That question, like, I want people listening just to slow down and notice like the brilliance of that question because... The, I think the immediate thought that we go to, because I think most people and I do think simplistically about some of these things, is to think that if they're in opposition to each other, you don't think of them as almost performance-enhancing yep. drugs for the yep. other, uh -huh. right? But the thought of, oh, like, what would independence do for intimacy yep. if you turn that up? And even as you ask it, I'm like, oh, that's a, I yeah. don't even know. Well, like, and, it, <laughs> and this is an interesting example. So, sure. like, if a person's primary driver is intimacy, they may sometimes uh, drift into codependency. And so yes. independence with intimacy mixed together creates interdependency, which is what all the people with psychological wellness are going to say is kind of a healthy, not kind of a healthy way of relating. Right. You know? Well, now that you just said that, a light bulb kind of went off for me, and there's different words for the similar sort of conversation. I have noticed that people pleasing, mm. I think a desire to make sure the relationships are okay while sacrificing maybe honesty mm -hmm. and how I'm experiencing it. That makes sense. And actually, I have seen a shift in that. I actually think... I don't know if it's possible to turn all the eyes up. I think what yep. we're talking about right now is that process yep. of elevating all of them. But I do notice that. Like I've never been more, I think, honest with what I think with others than in my life. And at the same time, I've also never felt more connected to people yeah. because I've been that way. But also sometimes relationships as a result haven't continued. But I think as a leader of people, as a father, turning all of them up, I've seen the benefit yeah of that. I have a question and I'll, then I'll share mine, but Dan sharing made me think about, so he talked about how intimacy was there at the beginning and then things shifted and he went into incoming impact and then saw himself, you know, achieving the pleasure of those motivations. And then he's noticed he's come back to intimacy. So that makes me wonder, and I don't, I don't want to fall back into this like permanent place that we get into in yeah. assessments, but is it possible that we have this sort of motivation, maybe like an underlying one that feels more like home throughout our lives, but then contexts arise and maybe the pain of certain things not happening cause us to feel motivated to make money. And then once we make that happen, we come back to one that was there. And this is where this, can we disagree about that? Well, yeah, because I'm yeah. not saying it as fact. I'm wondering what you think about it. No, I heard it. I heard you say it. This is fact. <laughs> and you said that. And then I got very offended. No. Um, and then we decided never to speak again because that's the way the world works now. Um, you're canceled. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the the <laughs> I noticed as you're describing, it's like, oh, I, my default is to think that way. But to what Jason just said, 
kind of collided with it in, yeah. in the thought of like, if income isn't the enemy of intimacy, if yeah. it's actually enhancing it, like I was raised with a certain value set, like relationships above all, mm-hmm. but that, that to me is a very simplistic way of thinking about relationships as opposed to going, well, what if, what if income is a way of actually enhancing relationship? And so that's where I think maybe this is more of a nuanced conversation than just a simple sort of like, you know, you're in this category, you're in this category. And I, I can imagine what Jason is thinking right now, but you can tell me if I'm wrong, Jay, in terms of like, well, we don't know, like both could be right. You know what? I think <laughs> that is, that is a, a piece of what I was thinking. And Rosie, what I'm curious about to wonder alongside of you is at what point does that question matter anymore? So not that it doesn't matter. I don't want to ask that in a way that supposes that it doesn't matter. I don't mind saying that there seems to be a place that I keep returning to for reasons that I'm not entirely sure. I do have a little bit of of an allergic reaction. I'm excited for a guest next week who's an expert in personality theory to talk about this so we can ask him this question. But I'm a little allergic to, as soon as you say that that part of you is fixed, what that does to how you relate to it I wonder if it's not worth it to just say, yeah, that's that's one of my favorite golf clubs, but I don't know. Like Rosie, what do you think? Well, let's so let's look at my life. Maybe if I speak from personal experience, so I look at how I'm motivated right now, and I'm motivated uh, mm-hmm. most by income, mm-hmm. second by impact. And when I look at my context, it's like um, I was on mat leave, so my income decreased. COVID happened. Mm-hmm. My husband lost his job, has a wage subsidy, so you know we're we're doing but our income significantly decreased. Then we, he decided to go to pilot school, which is hugely expensive. <laughs> and we decided to buy a second house and have like two income property. Like we just stretched ourselves financially. So I wake up in the morning and I go to my cash flow statement and it's like, I am managing that and motivated yeah. by that, like yep. in a major way. Now, it of course it wasn't always that way. I'd say impact was higher and I think artistic integrity is something that like, I feel like it's like under there, but what comforts me, and and that's what you said this earlier, Jason, that like, well, it's not motivating me right now, but like, I'll go back to that instead of saying like, I lost who I am, like I'm somebody and now like I've let her go. It's like, I see that I will go back to artistic integrity at another season in my life, but in this season, I'm not. And that kind of feels lighter. And I like it, but I feel that I will go back to artistic integrity again. I could be wrong. Well, I something you just said, and now now I feel like we're going a little bit off script, which is fine. So we could cut this, but okay. I, I wanted to say it because I didn't want to lose it. It's almost like there's a level of pain that creates an attention to the eyes. And then if you can get them over a certain threshold, it's like you, you go to another level of the video yeah. game and you play with them in a different way. And then when you get over that threshold, there's a whole nother way of maybe synergy. I, I, synergy is yeah. such an overused word, but synergistically, I just made it sound smarter. Um, like almost like a helicopter blade, yeah. like, like it creates more lift. So I'm just, that might be a whole new way to look at this stuff. But, but the guy in the white paper that Jason writes about, Mr. Apatow, or Ap- I don't even, sorry, who is it, Jason? Oh, but yeah, he, Judd Apatow, yeah. Judd Apatow, he's always motivated by income no matter what threshold yeah. he gets to. So that's interesting yep. as well. That he didn't hit that target um, that you're talking about. Yeah, and the white paper just for our audience, I tell the story about Judd. I was at an event with him one time and he's doing a Q&A or something and he was talking about how it doesn't matter how rich he gets, he's always scared of being poor. And so he keeps making all these movies. I think someone's asked him, are you going to take a break or whatever? And he's like, I can't take a break because I'm just terrified because he was poor once and that stuck with him. And it's funny, when I heard that story, I can't remember how many years ago I heard him tell that story, but 
that resonates with me a little bit because my motivator for income kicked mm -hmm. in during the lowest part of my life when I had the least amount of resources mm -hmm. and then it, it kicked in hard. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then I kind of got used to it yeah. and I saw what it, what it gave me and how it being motivated by income in some ways opened up other possibilities for me that I really enjoyed. And then I got to a place where I was like, now this feels constrictive. It felt like it was additive for a while. And now it's kind of bothering me a little bit. Well, yeah, which feels like a fun place to play with. Uh, when are your motivators? I hate the using the word healthy or unhealthy. But yep. Sometimes our motivators are out of passion. And sometimes our motivators are out of maybe scarcity or experiences from our past. Yeah. A simple way of saying that is like, what is the motivator currently yeah. doing yeah. in your yeah. life right now? Because like, actually, Jay, when you said the income piece, I think one of the reasons why intimacy has come back up is because of uh, experience of feeling lonely. Mm. And, and that part of that is COVID and a bunch of a bunch of other things going on, but yeah. a similar sort of experience. Yeah, that's yeah, that's good. Rosie, go ahead and throw your hat in the ring and talk about uh, kind of historically, where were you now? Where you, or were you not? You touched on it a little bit, but. Yeah, well, I think I, I'm, I'm at income now um, because of, all of the stuff I'd mentioned. And, you know, as I did the actual assessment, so just thinking of people when they take the assessment, I think you'll probably notice that all of them can feel that they apply to you. Mm -hmm. And it can be tough at moments to see which one you place as number one and which one you place as number five. I, I see them all alive in me. And again, I'm thinking about like how to cause synergy between them rather than the risk of like, I'm so motivated by income right now because of the stressors. Like it is the pain that is present for me right now. It's not the pleasure, it's the pain. So I think that's another important distinction to think about. And so in that like fear of scarcity and limitation that I'm currently kind of waking up with, like, what do I have to make sure I don't like cause to fall out while I'm like in this little hot pocket that I created for <laughs> myself willingly? Yeah. yeah. Like how do you not, how do you hold on to the things you care about? in different seasons. Janet, you used healthy, unhealthy, and I, I get like how we would maybe want to stay away from the moralization, but also I just bring this to all of the things that I do anyway. There is a moral component to a lot of the work that I do. And I think one of the reasons why our coaches resonate with our culture is because there's a, at least a marginal shared moral framework that we're operating out of. And I think for, for a long time, I remember when I lived in Culver City with Thomas Bush, who's another guy in our community. And um, this is in a time when I couldn't pay rent. So he was letting me live in his place for free. So this is over a decade ago or about a de decade ago. And I got really excited about the idea of maturity and what does it mean to be mature and how you hold certain things. And I remember getting so excited. And then there's a bunch of people, Thomas loved to throw house parties and there's a bunch of people at the house party. And I wanted, I like rolled up my sleeves and did my best pitch for why maturity is like something we should all be striving to value. And nobody was excited about it. <laughs> like nobody, <laughs> they were like, That's, yeah, no one cares about Crickets. that, Jason. That doesn't sound cool. It doesn't sound hip. But as I, as I get older and there's a difference between age and maturity. And I think sometimes people think that uh, wisdom is denouncing something versus finding the proper proportion of a thing. And so like we denounce independence, maybe we judge it. We denounce the pursuit of wealth. We denounce uh, people who are people pleasers. We denounce, and all these are kind of unhealthy expressions of the thing versus saying, okay, what's the healthy harmony? And I like what Dan said, like turn the volume up and watch the equalizer go up on all five to see how they mutually benefit each other. Uh, it, to me, is a really mm -hmm. exciting proposition. And as you look at these five things in your life to think, okay, how can these all be additive to each other? Because a big piece of our work is, I don't believe that everyone can have it all, but I do believe that we can have more than we think. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. we like standing in the question, okay, what if, what if you could have it all? What would that look like? And I think that's really powerful. 
One of the other applications, uh, just and, and just to change gears a briefly, one of the other applications I've noticed with clients right off the bat is when we start with anyone who wants to work with us as an organization, we have a conversation about vision. Like we have a conversation mm-hmm. about what people want. That essentially, and then we we do a lot more than just ask them what they want. In fact, we explore what they what they might not give themselves permission to want that they might want. <laughs> but I do find the five eyes to be a really helpful tool in that process because sometimes the first answer is I don't know. And you know, we poke at that. Usually people who say they don't know, yeah. it's not that yeah. they don't know, it's they don't they don't want to know. <laughs> But the five I assessment allows maybe some handles to be given for that conversation to help people begin to see in that moment, at least like, hey, what, what's important to me right now? And and then we could go on, on and on about why. But I think it's just a really helpful snapshot. If you're somebody listening to this and you're trying to figure out what do I want, what, what's going on and you're and it feels elusive, I think this is a great place to start. Yeah. I was just thinking about an example with a client in talking about vision, how important it is because I have a client right now, very, very talented in marketing, but it is now being transitioned to uh, an owner, profit owner, um, and Ooh. is really struggling with letting go of the thing that they're really good at. Which is, which is marketing, which is the doer, which is the get it done, roll your sleeves up, write the proposals, make the pitches, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, is not making enough time to actually do the things that are involved and required to be an owner, uh, a CEO, a visionary, a leader, and getting clear on this person's uh, driver instead of going, well, that's, that's who I am. Right. Which is why I like this, Mm -hmm. you know, the difference that you mentioned, Rosie, in the assessments, the danger of the assessments is you get attached to, well, this is what I'm good at. And this person up until this point has been motivated by feeling good about what they're good at and continuing that versus a vision to be an owner, a CEO, a leader, because it's worth going after. And so I just find that to be a great way to use this tool. And Rosie, you were talking about an example similar to that as well. Yeah, pretty much very similar. And and I wonder if, you know, we could kind of pull away the, the strengths finder assessment and bring in the five I assessment and then also bring in the vision, which is clear to this this man. The vision is that like the company can operate independent of me. And I've been dreaming of that for years. So if you've been dreaming of that for years, like how willing are you to become the person, you know, where that can happen? And and so you ask that question and then they say, I'm very willing. And so it's like, so are you willing to do the work? And are you willing to potentially evolve into someone you've never seen before that is like, you know, a more beautiful expression than you've ever been? And I think these are the types of people that we are working with who who are uh, willing to do that. And so sometimes if all we reference is a strength finder report, um, like I wonder if it's a disservice. Yeah, and even to add to that, it's interesting how oftentimes the what got you here won't get you there. And it's oftentimes it's a learning to apply some of your favorite go-to habits or ways of being in new ways. You know, so when I talk to people who love being on the ground and they're stepping into more executive levels of leadership and they're like, well, maybe they're driven by intimacy and they really love the connection and everything. I don't get to be connected to as many people anymore. It's like, yeah, that's right. But you do get, you do get to be connected to your direct reports. And so now you get to flex your relational muscles with a smaller group of people and go deeper, more powerful way versus the the broader way oftentimes. Yeah. And, Cause well, you know, I was people just going to say, keep, um, oh, go ahead, Janet. For those of you listening, thinking, 
you're still not sure, or you even hear, I've had uh, almost every person considering becoming a coach or delving into, you know, joining our firm or taking one of our programs. When I ask them about income, they almost all say they want income. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and especially often because they've been struggling, you know, it's, it's a tough world out there to do it by yourself. And I just had the thought of, uh, if you're not sure what your motivators are and you're conning yourself, yeah. uh, just yeah. look at your actions yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because your actions will really tell you what your motivator is. And I think I've met a lot of people who con themselves into thinking, no, no, I want money. I just can't get it somehow. For some reason, it doesn't come to me. Uh, and it's like, well, that's not actually what you're motivated by. You might want to look at your actions and that will, will yeah, tell Yeah, that's you. really good. And usually when I meet people who are, not all the time, there's exceptions to this, so be careful, you know, if you're going to get offended by what I'm about to say, just take a pill. But the, the unless you're like triggered by pharmaceutical jokes <laughs> and then don't take a pill, go for a walk or something. <laughs> there is a little bit of a, um, what, you, what you want but don't have there's usually a judgment there that you're not aware of. Yeah. Anything that you think that you want that you don't have, what's the judgment that's getting in the way? And the five I assessment can help you begin wrestling with what some of those judgments might be. Also, I'd, I like what you said too, Janet, in terms of paying attention. You didn't use this word exactly, but paying attention to drift. People tend to drift into things and not pay attention. And I'm a good example of that. I think oftentimes impact is a big motivator for me. I think Rosie, you and I are similar in this way. Impact is a big motivator. And then I discovered that you could buy things with money. And I discovered a career kind of on accident that was lucrative. You know, like I never really meant to when I got into coaching for it to be the kind of revenue generator that it's become for, for so many of us. That was never really the intent. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what happens. But now what's interesting is like, if you look at like, you know, so there's multiple podcasts on this channel. And one of them is a meta performance podcast where we get to interview really interesting people. And we've had a few athletes on, which is really exciting. And that, like Super Bowl champion and, and Cy Young winner of baseball, those types of things. And then the ones that I really get excited for is like talking to Linda Wolverton, who wrote Beauty and the Beast. And I'm like trying to get Andrew Stanton on the thing. I keep like drifting towards and, like my favorite days in the office. I love working with my clients and I love it when we have an amazing session and that's very exciting. But also, you know, the, the global leadership summit is asking uh, us to create some content for their summit. And I got to like pitch different storyboard ideas and hire a director and producer and work all of these things. And, and I got to get up early to give feedback on things before the deadline we can export. And it's going to be shown in front of 500,000 people. And there's obviously an impact piece there, but also if a client was like, Hey Jason, can we do a session at 6am? I'd be like, no, <laughs> <laughs> but, but if Linda said, Hey, Jason, I want to pitch something to you before I take it to Apple because uh, they're making a show of mine. Would you get up at 6 a.m.? I'd be like, Yeah. <laughs> you know? and so it does reveal a little bit. And Rosie, I know you have a musical background and that you performed. Did you perform at the Olympics? Where did you perform your guitar for like the queen of something? What did you do? Yeah, in front of like the Olympic Hall of Fame. Uh, and I think. Okay. No, the queen wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was watching on Zoom. And actually, I think all of us have an artistic bent, uh, knowing each of us personally. And so it's just fun to see that come out and to pay attention to that. So this is the question I'm thinking is, okay, how can I bring more of that artistic experimentation, innovation, creativity to coaching? To So obviously now we're, we're making right? We're making content. Yeah, like that. even this podcast is my, I love this podcast. I love it so much. I'm so proud of all of you. I love listening to it when I'm not on it. And I, I get so excited that we made this thing. It's like a creative piece of art that we make. And, and it's a way of me gene splicing 
our passion for coaching and impact and and doing it with my friends. Sometimes this is the only time we get to see each other during the week, you know, so it's a way of bringing all this together. Well, Jason, you know what I love what you're saying is, and I, again, thinking of our audience and thinking who, who listens to this podcast are people that are asking that question, what am I capable of? And, and how this assessment has challenged me. And when we look at like the idea of synergy versus tension, it's like, Hey, like right now I'm motivated by income, but you know what? My guitar is like on the wall over there. And like, and my little baby boy is right there. And like, there are ways that I can honor all of them. If I, if I just care enough, you know, if I, if I put in the effort to think creatively about how to make them all flourish, not that, you know, not that we need to do all and scatter ourselves, but, but we can definitely create more of it in our lives with some intention. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Dan, was that why you were fiddling with a Rubik's cube earlier? Cause it was like, that is a perfect metaphor for what we're doing, yeah. trying to make the, the Rubik's cube and yeah. Dan impresses his children regularly. They mess it up and they give it to him and then he, then he, he does it. I want to say something that I think is important, which is it's okay to want to be a whole person. Like it's okay to want to find the design, do the hard work. To me, this is part of the fun of being alive is doing the hard work to design a life as much as possible that generates wealth, that leaves a big impact, that allows you to connect deeply with people in a healthy way, that allows you the level of independence that you long for and the financial freedom so that you can be generous and have all those things and to do it uh, in a way that matches kind of how you're uniquely wired. I think that's, to me, that's, it may be utopian a little bit, but I think that's a nice North Star for every individual to move towards and and to help each other move towards that's what I love about being with you all as friends and as colleagues and coworkers is we all get to advocate for each other as we help, help each other turn the volume up. Yeah. And, and what I was thinking about when you were saying that, um, as I was thinking and listening at the same time, because uh, <laughs> um, that's my problem. Um, the, the thing that really stands out is this idea of what well, you're going to aim at something. What are you going to aim at? And rather than aiming at one of these things, which I think is maybe the, we talk about maturity, maybe the most immature version of this is, you know, using integrity and using independence and using yeah. intimacy and impact yeah. just to get money. Like you can aim, you can kind of make one of the focal point. Um, what I hear you saying and, and what I think is- Why are you driving your car? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, yeah, that's, that, that's a great way to think about it. Because um, what I hear you saying is like, what if a holistic view of these things- is what we aim at. And then, because what's the alternative? If we aim at one of these things, you're going to, you're actually going to create a, some predictable problems. Um, and you can go yeah. through them. You can go through each of the eyes and, and put it at the center yeah. and go, well, what would be the predictable problems if I aimed at only this? Um, and maybe that's an exercise people yep. could do. You could do the, do the assessment and then go to the last one, go to the middle one and just go, what are the predictable problems if this one is ignored or if this one is prioritized? And you're you're you probably discover some things even about your own life right now, maybe problems that you didn't you didn't know why they were there. It's like oh that's that now it makes yeah, sense. That's really good, Dan. And actually, our white paper after you take the assessment, you can get the white paper on your own. Or I think when you take the assessment, you get access to the white paper. It'll break down for each of the five ways that they can be misused or abused, or where they may contract your life versus expand your life. Uh, another piece of this, and this is where this is the rubber hits the road for us. You know, it's been interesting having everyone in our company take it. And then seeing the temporary topography of motivation. So some of you are leading companies and and teams. And when you address the team, are you hitting the dominant motivators of the team? If you show up to a group of people that are all motivated by intimacy and you like 
pound the money conversation, that's not going to resonate with them. You're not going to get mm -hmm. where you want to go unless you speak the language of their motivation. And it's also great for, in some ways, hiring. Like we use it when people join the firm. Hey, what is it that's motivating you? And there, there is a preferred cocktail in some ways that we look for that, that we feel like is going to be the best fit in this season for people to be with us. Because if they come in here and they judge certain things, like if they judge relationship, that probably isn't going to work here because we lean heavy into relationship in order to win here. And I don't know if I said this already, but uh, I've also started sending it to people before we have a conversation to do work together. If I want to yeah. serve somebody, it's helpful to know what's motivating them. And I actually got a story that goes with this. Uh, one of our clients that actually Dan was really the the key player. And we brought a lot of coaches in to, to work alongside Dan in this, in this particular ecosystem with this company. I was meeting with, I can't remember if it was the CEO or some, some senior level executive there. We're a high-end coaching service. And I, I default towards, hey, I want to make sure you get a financial ROI, assuming that he was motivated predominantly by money. So in in the sales conversation, yeah. I was like, yeah. hey, we're going to get an ROI. We're going to, you know, what do you, what do you want your revenue to increase by? What do you want the profit margin to increase by? We can come in here. We can help you. We'll be mm -hmm. the best, you know, X amount of dollars you've ever spent. And he actually had to stop me. He goes, Jason, I don't know if you realize this, but several times I've told you that that's not my primary motivator. <laughs> and he didn't have our language. He didn't, this is before the assessment existed. So he didn't, he wasn't, you know, he didn't have our framework, but he was like, Jason, I want my executives to take their wives out to dinner and their husbands out to dinner. I want... I want my executives to like go to a baseball game. You know, I want them to have some detachment from work, some a life and like some independence and a little bit of integrity mixed in, a little bit of intimacy mixed in. And so I was drilling hard selling this one thing and he wasn't buying. And once we got me out, and I think Dan stepped in and was able to serve him <laughs> with, with with the language that yeah. he was actually wanting. We designed the contract to give him what he was asking for. Uh, it was like, oh, uh -huh. oh, so that's that's what he that's what he wanted. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and well it's funny too because that leader uh, it's it's interesting because now that and i'm glad you reminded me of that story um it's been fascinating to notice how much he himself has prioritized the very things that he wants his team to start doing and uh, it's a really interesting picture of like how often are we having conversations with people who are telling us what motivates them or what's important to them and we don't even hear it because of what our I order is. I have a tendency to project my motivators onto other people and assume that everyone's like me. Yes. Hold on, hold on. Is that just yeah, you? I think it's just you. So there's something in the white paper that we talk about about you know, like you have to risk it to to actually see it flourish. And you know, I was being hard on myself before when it came to income and like, it's the pain of, but man, I'm so proud of myself for the risks that I've made financially to build the legacy for my family. And I think of like Dan and Jason, the guy you're talking about, it's like, he's motivated by intimacy and he risked, you know, like he's hired this firm. He's been vulnerable with his team to say, look guys, like, I, I don't want us to be just about money. I want you taking your, your wives out on dates, you know? And so there's that like that vulnerable place that you put yourself in to see flourish the thing that's actually really important to you. And so I think like our listeners, even like something that that brings such value with this assessment is like looking at your life right now and, and saying like, what's causing me pain right now? And like having the emotional intelligence, look, the, the most successful people are emotionally intelligent. They're not intelligent. So if you can observe your emotions right now. Notice what's happening. I think you have a clue to what's motivating you and then you can also look at am i having pain because i've risked it 
or am I having pain because I've done nothing in that area whatsoever and I need to start being cause in the matter. And I think yeah, that's a great distinction. I just like, well, we, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So I'm, I'm risking it here, y'all. It's not because yeah. I'm not. Well, that's the, you got to spend money to make money, right? That's the thing there. And then yeah. Dan, you had a great line earlier where you were talking about with intimacy, where you, you're risking honesty and vulnerability. People may not respond the way you want, but the people who do will deepen the intimacy uh, with integrity. I call that like an apprenticeship, like, you know, where, uh, I think it's Steve Pressfield who wrote the war of art. He's got another book. That's really good. I forget the title, but it has a swear word in it. And, uh, nobody wants to read your shit. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And when you, when you, it's a great book, I highly recommend it. Um, and by, by the way, you'll also notice that people who write and create, you can, you can kind of intuit their five eye cocktail based on the lanes that they like to stay in. And so, you know, Steve's an artist and so obviously he writes about art. So and his integrity piece, and I've actually met him a few times and he's a really uh, interesting guy. Him and I, him and I tug a word a little bit about some stuff and, and uh, he won, but it was a really great conversation, but, um, but he got his, his sea legs kind of ghostwriting for another screenwriter. And it wasn't about what he liked. It wasn't about his unique voice. It wasn't about his anything. It was about him learning somebody else's voice, which is a betrayal of the high integrity uh, conversation. But yeah. now he gets to do whatever he wants. And so he had to risk being an apprentice and doing it someone else's way. I think John Roberts, one of our coaches, has on his Instagram handle, like, you learn the rules so you can break them. And that's that's the journey. That's mm -hmm. the that's the scary journey of the of the artistic integrity driven person is: Are you willing to submit yourself to things that don't feel authentic, so that later you can create something that's deeply authentic? We also have an independence. Um, oh, that's you know. And I think we have some folks in our firm who are highly driven by independence, and even Janet might be experiencing this too. Now, is shackling yourself to the process of caring about money and revenue is part of the journey towards financial independence. You know, like Dave Ramsey, he's a he's a guru in terms of finances. He's like, you can you need to discipline yourself and deny yourself financially so that you can. He says, live like no one else, so that later you can live like no one else. And that's that's the independence mm -hmm. journey. Well, and that principle, like that principle that you're pulling out, is it's paradoxical, right? Like the the art of creating more of that in your life will probably involve a sacrificial amount of mm -hmm. losing it now. Mm -hmm. um, and I see that in Janet a lot right now. Like every time I ask her to do something, she tells, she just yells, <laughs> don't tell her what to do. And it's very awkward. I'm like, wow, independence girl. Like you're just crushing the independence. I that stole that from right. Jason. I she did. And, you, and where that came from, there is an independent streak in me. I think no one's surprised by that. And that came from, uh, I would I would go to see movies or get on planes and they would say, enjoy your movie or enjoy your flight. And then I would say, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> and it, was, it was meant to be funny, um, but now it's become kind of a cultural thing at our firm. I, I brought this out at dinner the other day. And um, another pain point that you could potentially encounter thinking of the listeners is, so my, my one of my best friends, she's a really successful real estate agent. She flips homes and she also happens to have just bought her dream home, her forever home. And she's noticed something, which is that remodeling homes that are not my own, it's like, whoo, like artistic integrity, like expression, let me go and do this. And then I am creating my forever home and I am having the most painful experience picking what color I'm going to paint the doors and what is my kitchen exactly going to look like. And so we talked about it and She's like, I see, you know, artistic integrity. That's what it is in, in the remodels that aren't my home. But in my home, it's it's impact. And I'm thinking about my daughter. And when she grows up and like 
like, what's the internet going to be like in 10 years? And how do I wire her room so that like, we don't have to bust holes in the wall in 10 years when technology is different. And so it, it was just interesting. And I saw her sort of like settle into the understanding of why it was easy in one area and not easy in another area. And that was because she, she had different motivations in different contexts. And so we all have different contexts. Maybe we have an overarching motivation for all of the contexts, but we do have different pockets in our lives where we can be motivated differently. And so if in one area it feels easy and in other it doesn't, maybe, you know, take a look at the five eyes. That's a really great point, Rosie, in terms of if you're ever struggling for something that should be something that you usually enjoy, can you rework it to be more resonant with another eye that might be more important to you? Uh, I think that's really powerful. I was just going to add, I, I think that that could be a, a whole a whole conversation as well around what are the different areas. Because you, Rosie, you just made me think of how I have very particular thoughts about certain things in, in my coaching practice. Mm -hmm. And then I have a personal assistant right now who will kind of restock my house. And the whole my whole motivator there is I don't want to have to think or pick anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't want yeah. to take up any mental space. I'm like, you pick the brand of toilet paper, you pick the everything. I do not care there. And so yep. it's interesting to see uh, how those can can play with each other as well. Yeah, that's good. And obviously, the goal is in some ways, as, as, as we wrap up, by the way, thanks, Rosie, Dan, and Janet. This is super fun. Uh, we're going to do this again uh, with some other folks on the call who are who are experts at things, because <laughs> we, we love, who wrote books and all the things. I think all of us together care about living a life that's uh, deep, deeply fulfilling, but also uh, deeply uh, a gift to others. And, you know, there's, there's just, this isn't necessarily relevant, but, um, you know, there's a saying, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come fully alive because what the world needs is people who are fully alive. I actually hate that quote. Um, <laughs> I really do. I don't like that quote. Um, I, I think that Joseph Campbellian following your bliss is a breeding ground for narcissism. However, Frederick Beekner has a great quote that says your vocation or calling is where your greatest passion meets the world's greatest need. Mm. And it's that X and Y axis of finding deep fulfillment and deep generosity. And I think this five I assessment is a way of designing that not only for you as an individual, but in, in the context of your relationships uh, with people that you are either selling to or buying from, uh, the people who you are uh, partnering with in companies. And we, our desire for you is that you could use this to help bring more fulfillment to your life, not only so that you can feel good, but also that so you can do good and be good at the same time. So thank you, Rosie. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Janet. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, man. Yeah. It's great to be on this conversation. Thank you for listening. For more resources like this, as well as articles and videos by all of our coaches, go to novus.global and click on resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Rate and leave a review. If you didn't like us, just leave us alone. We drop new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss out. If you want to explore hiring a Novus Global Coach or becoming an executive coach at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching, email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. And remember, dare to go beyond high performance.